This episode has been brought to you by our friends over at CMB Law. If you find yourself in a tight spot and you need an attorney to trust, call Courtney over at CMB Law. 941-747-4440 or 941-725-9457. You can also visit her site at cmbjustice.com. cmbjustice.com. Again, that's Courtney at CMB Law. Tell them that Thomas Free Me sent you from the Thomas Free Me podcast show. Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to thank all my subscribers and listeners that dedicate a little bit of time just to hear what I got to say. Thank you so much, but the struggle is real and it continues. Please spread awareness and do your part by making sure that you are subscribed and liking each of the episodes that you listen to. Share my episodes and, and spread awareness of my channel and what it is that I'm doing. These things, these little things right here is what helps me grow and helps sponsorship come my way as I am a struggling ex-con. I appreciate the support, the love, and thank you so much for tuning in. More to come. So welcome back, welcome back. This is Thomas Freeme with the Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show. As you know by now, I'm with Mr. Tanawa Downing, Mr. T, and we're breaking down the Constitution and uh, just just going over you know specifically what it means i mean it's not it's not a hard thing to to really understand it's just knowing it and knowing how it applies to us we the people and and speaking of we the people you know i don't know if you've been seeing my my post on facebook or whatnot but i've had a little incident this weekend where i ran across somebody that needed some help and you know on my social media i just want to point out twitter I got I received a lot of of uh, help and and outreach Facebook of course but TikTok I specifically want to point out TikTok because the hate that comes across TikTok right is 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 it's just ugly you know it's it's uncalled for you know the comments like uh tell the person to get a job you know and uh you know just just horrible things you know, and why? Like, if you don't agree with it or, or however, it's just why would you even make a comment about it? You know, it's, it's, it's just a sad state that we're in that people can't understand, you know, that sometimes people just need a hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we, we've lost it. We've lost the compassion. We've lost the, the, the concern. I think that that that's, I mean, that's a big problem with, with our country right now is that we just are continuing down this path of apostasy and, and, and unwillingness to actually empathize with, with other, with other people and their, in their situation, their condition. I mean, you know, our system of government is, is the most important element of it is that we each have a duty to care for those below us. And as long as we all do our part, then justice, which is a manifestation of divine law will prevail, but the alternative is chaos. And we are caring for the people below us. We're simply locking them up. We're sending them away, out of sight, out of mind, and it's it's horrible. I mean, that's 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 my problem with with society right now. I, I've come. It's, not, it's not even an inquisition. It's not even an inquire to how did this person? Who is this person? It's just tell this person to get a job. Well, this person had a job. They got cancer. Their insurance didn't cover them. They lost their job. They end up spending their savings going through this process. Their husband kicked them out. You know what I mean? Battered them, kicked them out. And and she trusted a friend to move halfway across the country because this friend told her that when she got here, she'd help her get set up. Well, after a week, the friend put her out on the street. So now here you have a person that can't go back home because she knows what's going to happen if she goes back home to this abusive person. Right. And she has no money, no resources. She put all her trust into one person that turned her back on her. So it's it's understanding that just a simple inquisition into how this person needs help could really just change the outlook of, of the help that they receive, but they don't even, they don't even offer that. It's just tell her to get a job. Yeah. It's, it's I, crazy. I run into that a lot here, you know, where, especially the stuff that I'm talking about, you know, I mean, forgiveness of, of these sins and, and you know, letting people go because the system, you know, uh, violated their rights. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people have a big problem with that, particularly because they're like, they, they say, oh, they're just trying to get over on the system. But, you know, 
we we have this habit of of justifying our own acts, our own you know uh, criminal acts or our own uh, um, um, negative acts, in order to justify you know someone else's or, or, or pursuing someone else. So we cannot break the law in order to enforce the law. You know we can't say that that one that one criminal act justifies the act of another criminal act in order to in order in order to secure it. I mean that just simply you know that just simply proliferates this this evil that, that we have you know if the system that's supposed to be good is actually committing crimes in order to secure the conviction is it all that good no it's it's really not it's it's just as evil as, as the rest of them so you know everybody that, that that represents the law needs to be above the law i mean they need to be above above reproach they need to be accountable to the law we can't walk around and continue to say that that you know that that i'm a I'm a politician, I'm a law enforcement officer, therefore I have the right to be able to violate the law because of professional courtesy or whatever we want to call it. You know, right. the ends doesn't justify the means, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, if we don't have compassion as, as a society and care for those below us, then boy, we're, we're done. I mean, we're, we're done. And, uh, um, you know, and I just, uh, I, I don't see much compassion, but I, I think that, I think we can get it back, but holy cow, we got a, we got a long ways to go. It's, um, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of people that, that will say that, you know, that, that they'll look at someone's situations, especially someone that I, that I might be defending, and they'll look and they'll say, well, I, I had the same situation. I was in the same situation as them, and look at what I did. I pulled out of it. And my argument to them is, is that, well, yeah, but you had different different set of, of experiences. You had different parenting structure. You had, you know, you're a strong enough person to be able to pull yourself out. Therefore, you should be strong enough to, to reach in there and grab those, those individuals and pull them out with you. You know, we need to raise the whole society up. We need to stop taking the society down and raise everybody up together. I mean, because a person's poor doesn't mean that that they're that they're incapable. It means that that, that they haven't had the opportunity that you have had. And uh, you know, so we need to recognize that because if we can if we can help them instead of instead of giving the poor you know uh, the, the money a check and and saying here go spend this money here's your here's your support instead let's teach them how to get their own check. You know, because that's going to raise the whole society up together. When we raise the poor up, everyone comes up. And instead, we're just simply, you know, pushing them away or sending them off to prison into involuntary servitude. And man, that's that's taking the whole country down. It's absolutely destroying our country. That's a, that's absolutely correct. And how do you think we got here? How do you think we got so, you know, divisive that we can look at our neighbors and spit on them, another American citizen, and, and look down on this person? That's three blocks over from you. Yeah, it's uh, the, the philosopher Nietzsche. He once said, those who fight monsters should see to it that the process, they don't become a monster. Mm. You know, I think we had good intentions for a long time. I think we were we had uh, uh, we had good principles, good morals, but we've we've gone away from it. And in the process, we've become a monster. You know, justice itself was was intended to fight monsters. And uh, and as a result of fighting that monsters and always being around those monsters and never never seeing good anymore. All they saw was bad. And as a result, now they're doing bad. You know, those that, that, that fight monsters need to see to it that they don't become a monster. Justice is now the monster. And, uh, and they need to realize that because uh, it can't be. That's, that's powerful there, you know. And, and, and what, what is in place in our educational system here in America that, you know, that, that kind of uh, corrects that, keeps that, those checks and balances between you know uh what's real and and what's what's not you know where's the logic being placed into into our society to for people to understand that i am exactly what i'm judging others to be the, uh, you know, i have to go back to scripture you know i mean if if we have if we have an all good you know higher power whatever that is you can call it anything you want to call it you know you can call it conscience you can call it love you can call it god you can call it all it doesn't matter what you call it but whatever it is it's good and it has a higher a higher moral obligation and so what happens is is that when we remove that from society then we're left to our own accord we're left to our own standards my standard is not your standard my morality is not her morality you know so we're left with this 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 uh this uncertainty of 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 the higher um of the higher good and so um you know when we take that away from 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 our society and we no longer have this this thing to aspire toward or this thing to uh to uh to uh, this object that that is our moral compass then we just head down the wrong path i mean the, every society in, in history that's exactly what's happened to them is that you know they've they've given up on their on their higher moral compass their their higher objective and then they just head down this this path of of, of evil and then you know ultimately it, it leads to destruction you know 
you uh, you posted something earlier about um, about the uh, uh, the presidential election, you know, and um, I, I responded to it, but I was responding to it mostly calling out the difference between a democratic government and a republican form government. Now, this is not about political parties because political parties is 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 what causes the division, right? We're looking at just the fundamental structure of of those two political theories. Okay, so in a democratic form of government. You have uh, the it's it's the popular vote. It's it, everybody participates in the political process, right? And so, then, but with the Republican form of government, you have a, a an elected um, representative. So you have a representative government that would come in where every single one of the regional governments would would have their own say and, and they would have an equal say in it. And so, when our forefathers, when they were trying to figure out what structure we were we were going to be, you know, the Confederacy was a democratic form of government. That's what it was. Okay, and a democratic form of government is fine with the states. Most states are a democratic form of government, and they have uh, they have everybody participate and they have popular vote. The reason why that's okay is because it's a small geographic location. You know, there's not going to be great big cultural diversities or, or changes within within a state. So you can have, you know, popular vote because you're not going to have a higher concentration populated area imposing its will upon the rest of the state. It's, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna be fairly equal. Now there are some states with differences, but where a democratic form of government is is not going to work with America, and the reason why the forefathers went went away from that was because you have North Carolina that is going to have different cultural um, um, considerations for, for their people than Southern California, right? And when you have a high concentration of a population such as Southern California, what happens is that they're going to be usually much, much more prosperous. They're going to be much more successful, just, just like Southern California is. And with that success, that money and that revenue comes some, some negative traits, you know, comes some arrogance and comes some, you know, some unwillingness to, uh, to care for those around them. You know, it, 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 it just happens, you know, when you when you have money, I know I, I, I did it myself and I'm glad that I, I was pulled away from that. But, you know, you focus on yourself. It's all about making that money and uh, and making more. You can never, ever have enough of it. And so as a result, what happens with the democratic form of government with such a geographically diverse uh, uh, nation as ours, you have high concentration populated areas such as Southern California imposing its will upon the rest of the nation. But you have the negative traits that they're that they're that they're desiring that's now imposing them upon the rest of the nation. And so you have, you know, say North Carolina, who has no say in a, in a popular vote. They have no say. And as a result, after time and time and time again of, of not being heard, they just eventually say, forget it. I'm not going to participate in the national government at all anymore. And they move away from it. And that causes the division. That's why we wanted the, the Republican form of government, because we wanted to have equal representation from each of the regions, not because not because of population or, or growth, but so that each one of these cultural um, variances can have their say in the, in the national uh, political arena. And so that was why we went there. You know, a, a democratic foreign government is absolutely gonna be destructive to our nation because you can't have California telling Maine what to do and, and have Maine not be able to say, have any, any uh, particular input into the national political arena simply because of they don't have the size, the population, you know, that's not going to allow for that particular state to say, I want to participate. I want to be a part of this because I'm being hurt when they're not being hurt. Right. Because California has no idea what Maine needs or has exactly. what, or what Maine has go, <laughs> going on, you know, so right. Maine, Maine may have great ideas. They may have an excellent education system and they may be doing things just, just right, but they won't be heard if, if unless they're in a, in, in, a, in a representative form of government like we have with the Republican form of government. That's why we went there. It's not, it's not about political parties. It's about, it's about the end goal of the, of the nation. It's about everybody being heard equally, everybody having a voice and everybody you know, being, being considered. Because I know that, that when, I, uh, when I go into a meeting, if I'm not being heard, my, my, uh, my, uh, um, my recommendations aren't being heard, I'm not going to value that, that meeting. I'm not going to want to continue to go there. I'm not going to feel as though you know, I'm participating. It's the same thing in the in the political front here across the nation. We need to be heard. Every one of our states need to be heard. We need to know what's working in one in one location, not in another. And we don't need to have simply wills being imposed upon the rest of the nation based upon you know, population concentration. In your opinion, how far apart do you think we are as far as politically in that in that political arena that you're talking about? How far apart? Do you think we are from that? Miles and miles. Chasm? It's a huge chasm. Yeah. Miles and miles. You know, there's a book called uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an interesting book because what it says is that it says that, you know, men and women, we don't we don't communicate the same language. I mean, we, we want to say the same things. We're trying to say the same things, but we speak differently. So men, we speak 
literally, you know, we, uh, if we say we're starving, we're literally starving, you know, and uh, women, they tend to speak much more figuratively. So, you know, my wife, she used to say to me that, that she was starving. And I look at her and say, well, you just ate four hours ago. How can you possibly be, be starving? And so, you know, in a, in a relationship, because that's all that society is, is it's, in a, it's a relationship among a lot of different people. And so in a relationship, you know, when you start to have these, these communication barriers or these, these, uh, these issues in, in the way that we communicate, then what happens is, is that, is that we, uh, we start to get a little bit of ground in between us. You know, there's a little bit of gap. And as we allow that gap to continue to grow and grow and grow, it gets wider and wider until we eventually, we can't even communicate at all. Like, you know, I'll say something to her and she won't even be able to understand anything that I'm saying because, you know, we, this gap has just gotten so, so great. And that's really what's happened between Democratic and Republican political parties here. Mm. We're all American. I, we, we need both parties because, because we're all American and, and American is about diversity. You know, it's about, it's about coming together and, and, and having these different points of view, being able to have the dialogue that's put into place and communicate and come up with the best solution. That, that's, what, that was, that's what's great about us is that, you know, we need the democratic uh, model because we need to be able to, to care for the, the, uh, the lower class. We need to be able to care for, for the poor. We need, to, we need to have that compassion that, that the democratic party you know, really brings in those types of those types of people on the liberal um, political front, but we also need the Republican. We need the conservative element. We need to know that you know we we have money and, and we're limited in that amount of money. We need to be conservative in in the resources that we have, and so you know we need to be able to communicate across the board. We have to do that because that's without it, then you have what what's going on right now. You have tyranny, and as soon as as soon as because uh, there's four stages of a, of a democratic form of government, and the last and final phase is is called the tyrant, and uh, Every single democratic government in the history of the world has always been destroyed. It's, it's been destroyed at the, at the hands of the people because of the oppressive and tyrannical government that, that ends up being formed. And it just happens. It is called uh, mob rule or majority rule. So once a political party gets into place and they just refuse to listen to, the, to anybody else, anybody or any opposing opinion, then they become a tyrant and they start imposing their political agenda upon the rest of the, of, of the nation. And that causes this massive disharmony that we're seeing across the nation right now, where there's this huge division of people starting to rise up and say, well, you know, we need to take back our government. Well, no, we need to start communicating better. I mean, because that's what that's what we got to do. You know, uh, I think that two weeks ago you were asking me where are we at within the timeline? Are we at the Revolutionary War? Or are we at the Civil War? Well, we already have a country. I don't think we want to destroy our country. So we're not at the Revolutionary War. We already have it. We're, we're at a different place. We're at a place where we're where we're looking at, at these different um, these different ideas, these different concepts, and refusing to acknowledge that there's that there's an opposite or opposing view. You know, we need to just we need to start talking. Yeah, I mean, there's no contact. Well, we I mean, that's, join us. That's 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 exactly it. Like, okay, so in my discovery of 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 my political arena, people were always asking me, "Well, are you Democrat or are you Republican?" Because you kind of speak like both. And one minute you'll have a, a you know a right view, the next minute you'll have a left view. All anybody really hears is Democrat and Republican and don't understand that there's there's many other parties that you may be, you know, uh, uh, that you may fit in, you know, but all we ever hear is Republic me. I'm I, after I found out and I did a little research, I would probably label myself as a as a libertarian, you know, yeah. just just right down the middle about just justice, fairness and what what is right, you know, yeah. And how many people are out there like me and don't even know what a libertarian is, and they're trying to fit up under a democratic scheme or a republican scheme, and it's there's just chaos everywhere over all yeah. this crap. I mean, the, so the, the the parties they're they have an agenda, you know. I mean, they're 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 pursuing certain certain end goals, and so those end goals are not necessarily American, you know. I mean, I'm not going to side with a party. I'm I'm an American, and I want to do what's best for America. Right. And that means that that sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that are going to cost us more, or it's going to take longer, or it's going to be very difficult, you know, or it's going to change a massive amount of law. But what is good for the people is 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 what matters, not what's good for for industry. Right. You know, I should not, not have to form part. myself to a to a view. That view should form around me i'm the i'm the boss i'm the american citizen and that that party should form around my views i should not have to construct my views based upon a party that's yeah but but even more important you know i think that these politicians that are coming into the central government you know they're coming in representing a party now and so whatever the party's agenda is 
each one of these, these representatives are then having to side with that party, having to go with whatever they want. That's not how it should be. These people are coming in from, from, a, from regional government, representing those people with their cultural uh, variances or whatever it might be. And they may not, uh, they may not uh, uh, agree with the, with the central you know, political uh, um, um, agenda of the parties. They need to be representing the people. So you know, I don't think that it's about parties. I think it's about about you know the representative from Louisiana representing the people of Louisiana and what they want, not not what the Democratic Party or the Republican Party want, but what does what does Louisiana want? You know, because I don't see that very much. I, I don't see you know uh, the um, the representatives from from uh, Wyoming coming in and saying this is what Wyoming needs. This is you know they're coming in saying this is what the Republican Party needs, and they're just falling in line as a bunch of sheep. You know, they need to represent those people because those people. You know, they need things and they and they have ideas and they need to have those ideas expressed and it shouldn't be expressed just simply through a party agenda. Not at all. And, and one final note on that before we get into the Second Amendment with the people and we're not taking any any responsibilities away from the people because the people is what runs this train. You know, the people themselves have to be educated enough to know that who you're voting in, what their ideology is, who they are, what their body of work is most, you know, importantly, because anybody can say anything, you know, and, and just putting the appropriate people in place to represent you, you know, versus just, just as we've been saying, sticking with a party. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. You, you watch some of these rallies and people are just throwing their babies in front of these politicians faces and, you know, these politicians are asking adolescent children, you know, uh, make sure you grow up to be a Democrat, you know, and, and it's just or a Republican. I don't want to pick a side or whatever, but it's just it's just crazy yeah. what is going I, on. I, I find it really appalling, especially during the last presidential election. I, I, I really I couldn't even follow it. But, you know, these people are supposed to represent America and America is made up of, of a lot of different people. When we have you know, the, the leader of, of our nation coming in and badmouthing 50% of the nation, that's not good. I mean, that person should be working on, on unity. That person should not be badmouthing the other party, should not be badmouthing the, the predecessor. We should be working together and trying to create create harmony, trying to trying to bring peace in, not not division. And that's nobody's doing that. It's always division. It's it's every single thing about about the opposition. Well, the opposition is America. Right. You're you're bad mouthing your own your own people, your own, you know, your own institution. It's we can't do that. I mean, these politicians, they need to they need to completely change the way that they're that they're speaking. We need to have a debate, not 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 a not a not a target, not a not an opportunity to, to just bring people down. You know, when we're coming in and we're and we're talking about things or we're we're presenting a, a, a discussion to the American people, we need to be talking about ideas, not about you know, the failure of, of a different party or why you think that, you know, that's not what we need to be talking about. That doesn't do any good. Well, you know? realistic ideas, not, not these, not these, I'm going to get up here and, and in my four-year term, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, it's just realistic things as to what's going on in our nation. I don't see anything more importantly than our criminal justice system and our mental health system. Those two have to be adjusted immediately. Yeah. Well, it's like I it's like I said to a uh, you know, response to someone else just just a little bit ago. You know, <clears throat> the purpose of our government is to is to protect the rights that were not given up in the in the social contract, right? So that was that was the purpose of our government. And so, what happens is we gave the government the the justice system. We said, here, we want you to be able to administer this, and and as a result, that's their business, right? And so government is in the business of imprisoning people. That's that's what they do. And so as a business, when we continue to run government as though it's a business, guess what? They're going to want to get more and more and more. And the way that they do that is through the enslavement of the people. So, you know, with government here, they're 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 pushing pushing forward as a business. And as such, you know, these laws that are being enacted and put into place, they're specifically targeting a demographic of people, and that is the poor, because because it's a debt-based system. And if it's a debt-based system, all through history, all slavery was was about debt. You know, if you didn't, if you couldn't afford to pay a debt that, that you owed, you could sell yourself into slavery, and as a result, you could you could settle the debt. It was a feasible alternative to debt management. Our system is a debt based system. If you choose to violate the law, you incur debt to which you are charged and then called to account. These are all very simple accounting terms. So the thing is, is that if debt is is if it's a debt based system. Then it means that if you can't afford to pay the debt to society, guess what? You sell yourself into slavery, and now government is making money off of you. 
We have a system where the government is taking every opportunity that they can in order to bring in regulation and control so that they can have additional additional money. I mean, but if you look at, uh, at, a, at, a, at the political structure of governments, that is what a totalitarian totalitarianism government or communism government is, is it is enslavement of the people so that the government can make money off the people. I mean, that's, that's all it is, is that as we continue that's to well, head down exactly path, what it is, which we continue to head down this path and we don't change the justice system. So that it's no longer about business. It's about it's about reconciliation. It's about to, it's about healing these people that are hurting and, and helping them have a life and, and, a, and a career and money and everything else. If we don't do that, then yeah, we're every single man, woman, child across the country is going to be enslaved by this system of government. Which is a is is a great segue into our Second Amendment, which yep. is the right to bear arms. Passed by Congress, September 25th, 1789, ratified December 15th, 1791, the first 10 amendments form the Bill of Rights. Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What does the word infringed mean? It shall not shall not be uh, um, um, deprived. It shall not be um, uh, taken away. I mean, infringement would just be the deprivation of, of it in any sort of capacity. So, you know, when we talk about infringement, you know, there's there's different there's different pieces of parts to the, to to a weapon for a gun, for instance, and you know, so there's discussions about taking the bullets away, and that way, you know, if we if we limit the production of bullets, then obviously it won't have enough bullets for the guns, and so that would be a quasi way of getting around the Constitution. But the reality is, is that would still be an infringement on the right of, to keep and bear arms. You know, when you're when you're when you're limited or regulated the, the, the production of, of one element of the weapon, which is a necessary element of it, then you know, then yeah, that would be an infringement. But infringement is just any sort of deprivation of that particular right. And so, you know, I uh, I was reading some some Supreme Court um, precedent the other day. And a great question was asked, and it's that, it's that what is the point in putting our laws into written form, right? Or what is the point in providing guarantees if those guarantees can be taken away? And what's the point in, in putting that, those laws into a written form if they can be, if they can be, um, uh, if they can be taken away at, at, at discretion? So I think that it was uh, Justice um, Brandleberg, I believe it said it, but what point is having guarantees and to what purpose are they reduced to writing if those who are bound to the obligation are at liberty to violate the obligation? If discretion and obligation are of equal contemplation, then what value is the obligation? You know, if we have guarantees and we place those guarantees into a written form of our constitution, we say you have the right to keep and bear arms. But then that obligation that's created by the judge and the oath that they enter into office, you know, for a Supreme Court decision or or even the president of the United States, if he's want to push agenda or the only way that we can change the Constitution is through an act of the people. It's an amendment. If we don't want to keep a bare arms, that's fine. Present it to the American people and get the American people to agree upon it and get them to amend the Constitution of the United States. You can't do it through judicial fiat. You can't do it through executive order. You can't do that. You know, the whole point of the Bill of Rights was to, was to take certain rights and place them above political uh, contemplation. We didn't want to have these particular rights that were within the Bill of Rights be up for discussion. Because they knew how important they were, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, to be, be able to believe and have a conscience that, that leads us to, to our authentic self. I mean, those are things that we need to have as a society, and we need to have them above political contemplation. They should not be up for discussion. So, so what happens, Tanawa, if uh, the president comes out and signs an executive order to stop the sale of all weapons in America based upon... Uh, the Patriot Act, some security risk, terrorism, whatever. So once again, going back to um, to what we discussed, I think uh, last week is that is that the Constitution establishes statutory obligations. So a statutory obligation is one that arises out of, out of statute. It's not based upon any sort of independent contractual obligation. So when you have a statute such as um, such as the right to keep and bear arms, it says the right to keep and bear arms for the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's pretty clear, right? And so that becomes an obligation that the judges or the president or anyone else enters into as a result of their oath of office. So when you take an oath that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States, right? That's what you have to do. And, and so supporting the Constitution is not changing it, right? 
you, you have to look at sedition then. So the definition of sedition is the speaking or writing of words intended to cause disaffection to the Constitution in order to procure its alteration in an other than lawful manner, right? So when, when, you, when you commit sedition, it's, it's, it's going against the Constitution, it's warring against the Constitution under oath is, is, is what it is. And so when you look at the specific oaths within the Constitution, because there's, there's three different groups of people that, that, that take the oath, right? There's the judicial branch, there's the executive branch, and there's the legislative branch. All three of them take oaths. And it's all defined within the Constitution. But when you read the specific people that, that take the oaths, what you'll find is that on the national front, it is the judicial and executive branches that must take the oath and everybody works with it. But at the state level, it is the legislative, executive, and judicial. It's all three at state level, but it's only two at the executive at the national level. And why is that? Well, because if, if you're going to propose an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, you have to be able to speak words that are intended to cause a change of the Constitution. Therefore, the legislators at the national front who are responsible for altering the, the Constitution of the United States, they have to be able to say and speak words that, that, will, that will cause disaffection of the Constitution in order to procure its alteration. So they are waived uh, of, of, the, of, of certain elements of the, um, of the oath, right? They have the ability to, to speak those words, but not at state level. A state must comply with the Constitution of the United States. Therefore, all executive, legislative, and judicial officers at a state level must support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's part of their oath. But then there's another issue. Right, go ahead. Well, it's yeah. So what what about the myth that that when when executive orders are placed, that it they override the rights of the Constitution? So so the president of the United States can, cannot override the the, uh, the 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 Constitution. So. This is something that, that, I've, that I've, been, I've been meaning to get out there, and I haven't quite had the, the, the proper medium to do it. But we have two different um, – there, there's two different legal theories or legal doctrines that exist today, okay? Now, our system of government is founded upon the government of laws doctrine, which is constitutionally based. And it's built upon the theory that in order for laws to be legitimate, they must be considered just and equal. So this is the egalitarianism approach, which our constitution is framed upon. And in order for all men to be equal, government and laws must first treat them equal, okay? So <clears throat> in order for all men to be equal, government laws must first treat them equal. That's the way their system is designed to work. It's based upon a fixed set of laws or principles in which the courts and people adhere to and in which every single United States citizen is accustomed to, okay? That's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have the government of laws being the foundation. We make the laws, and then the government administers those. Now, the opposite of the government of laws doctrine is what's called the legal realism doctrine. And it is, it's definitely alive and at work in America right now, and it's destroying our system of government. Now, legal realism is the belief that judges, that, that law is not based upon a formal set of rules or principles, but instead upon judicial decisions that derive from their own social, political, or public policy. That is not constitutionally based, as it does not permit the fair and equal treatment of people. So an excellent example of legal realism is when the president of the United States comes out with an executive order and says, I could take away the Second Amendment right. That would be a that would be a, a fiat. That would be a warrant against the Constitution of the United States, and it would be taking the government of laws being the foundation, and it would be instead placing judicial rulings as the foundation. <clears throat> so there, there's opposites, opposite ends of the spectrum, and what we're finding today is that we're not a government of laws doctrine, which is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have the Constitution be the foundation, right? And everything derived from that. Everything must be constitutional. We hear that all the time. But why is it that if you um, if you file a, a written allegation against the state saying that you've been deprived of a, a constitutional right, why is it that they go to case law in order to determine whether or not you have that right? Mm -hmm. They don't go to the Constitution of the United States. They don't go to the object to which their fidelity is owed. And as a result, what is the foundation? The foundation is judge-made rulings, not the Constitution, right? Mm -hmm. And when we use judge-made rulings as the foundation, then that means that justice has been built upside down. You see, there's a hierarchy of law. The highest form of law or the foundation is the Constitution. That's part of statutes, right? And then you have ordinances, and then you have regulations. These are what's called positive law. They're affirmative law. They're law that is in written form that's created by the people or a body of people that are constituted to be able to do that, right? So a legislative branch is to make all laws, right? And everything must derive from those laws, and it must, it must com comply. So if the Constitution is the foundation, and then there's an act of Congress that is in, viol in violation or contrary to the Constitution, then that act of Congress is unconstitutional. And as an unconstitutional act, it is not an act at all. It's not enforceable. It's not binding on any parties. Nothing. It's, it's absolutely nothing as though it didn't even exist, right? That's how it's supposed to work. But then you have regulations. And if it doesn't comply with the statutes, then, you know, then same thing exists. But then above that, you have what's called common law. And common law is the lowest form of law because it's unwritten. It's negative law. 
right? And at the, at the lowest form of that, at the very, very bottom of that is what's called case law. So we have right now judge-made rulings because judges make rulings, not laws, right? Because they're not legally constituted to be able to make laws. You have judges who believe that in legal contemplation, case law is superior to the Constitution of the United States. They're making rulings that are saying that this judge-made ruling is depriving you of that constitutional right because the judge said so. That means that, that we do not have a government of laws doctrine. We actually have legal realism. So we have at the foundation case law and not the Constitution. But isn't that what the Supreme Court is in place for, supposedly, to uphold the Constitution against these these rogue uh, judicial rulings that that are? You would sure think so. But what about what about um, um, what about Barron versus Baltimore when when they say that you don't get the, uh, the the rights that are secured by the Constitution of the United States? What about Plessy versus Ferguson when they say that that you have the ability to to have racial segregation? What about Hurtado versus California where they say that you don't have the right to indict by a grand jury? What about? Uh, I mean, each one of these, there, there's a long history of depriving the United States citizens of the rights secured by the Constitution and enumerated within the Constitution. There's a long history of it. I mean, but the Supreme Court for history, I mean, all the way up until around, around 1960, it was every decision that was making was based upon business interests, not the interests of the people. I mean, all through the Gilded Age, you had these senators and judges that were being bought out by Rockefeller and Morgan and, and, and Carnegie and, you know, and literally putting into place rulings that were advancing their own interests, business interests. So there's no question know, about that. And that's factual history. I mean, you can go back and just see that black and white. But so let me ask you, circling back to the Second Amendment, like it tells us it speaks specifically to militia, a well-regulated militia being necessary yeah. to the security of a free state. So yeah. when, when we as American citizens, we hear that we, we have the right to bear arms and we have the right to form real, well-regulated militias to protect us, our freedom, you know, our free state, what, 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 what do we do in this position that we're hearing and seeing exactly what you're laying out? What, what are we supposed to do? We have to fight back the lies, okay? So first off, Let's go ahead and get this, this lie out of there, okay? When they talk about insurrection and they're pointing at people, that is not insurrection, you guys. It's not insurrection, okay? If you look at, if you look at the history, right, everything that was going on, our forefathers, they weren't concerned about the people. The people are free. They didn't want their freedom. They're, they're free, okay? They weren't concerned about the people rising up. They were concerned about government rising up. When you talk about insurrection, that's not the people. People commit crimes. Government commits insurrection. You go to Federalist Number 10, right? The Federalist Number 10, written by James Madison. The title of that particular, that particular report or that particular um, 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 that, that particular uh, whatever, that um, a newspaper article, that particular one was titled The Union as a Safeguard Against Domestic Faction and Insurrection. Okay. So the whole article, that article number 10 talks about nothing but the state imposing or not not applying not Here, abiding so, by the laws of the United States. So what it says is to the people of the state of New York, among the numerous advantages promised by a well-constructed union, none deserves to be more accurately developed than its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. The friend of popular governments never finds himself so much alarmed for their character and fate as when he contemplates their propensity to this dangerous vice he will not fail therefore to set a due value on any plane which without violating the principles to which he is attached provides a proper cure for it um i mean there's a lot here i'm not going to read it you guys can go read it but but so the the most important thing is that the title is the union is a safeguard against domestic faction insurrection okay so in that article, what James Madison was talking about was he was talking about states that are that are opposing their will upon the nation, that are refusing to comply with the Constitution of the United States, the body of laws which govern this nation. And so the union itself, right, the, the, the body of states around it would then be able to get that particular state to comply, right? Because when a state says, I'm not going to follow the Constitution of the United States, what do we do about that? Well, the union is a safeguard against it, right? So the rest of the states come together and they say, we're going to make the state comply with the laws, right? It wasn't about the people rising up. Insurrection is about a state refusing to comply with the laws of the United States. Well, and how that, do you feel about them charging these the, the January 6th people with terrorism and, and things of that nature? They're, they're not they're not terrorists. Well, anyway, I don't I don't like it personally. You know, 
I don't I don't know enough about the about the situation, but I think that that, that you know that when we when we get emotions uh, brought up to that to that certain level, you know, and and then we start to label them because we were labeling insurrectionists from the very beginning. They're not insurrectionists. The reality is is that the government that's refusing to obey the laws of the United States, they're the ones that are that are committing sedition. They're the ones that are committing insurrection. The people, we have the right to be able to demand that our government follow the laws that we put into place. And when they don't do that. Then, then, then you know we have a problem. But, but when you talk about this divisive nature, and we and we start singling these people out, we say you know that this this person is a terrorist. Or this per- no, I mean, well, this is what I'm trying. <clears throat> this is what I'm trying to get the people to understand is like, how do we know? We we see what just happened on January sixth, and these these individuals that that they felt like whether they were right or wrong, that's 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 personal perspective, and I don't want to get into that. But I just want to speak to those individuals felt like they were doing the right thing. They felt like they were protected from the Constitution and that this was their right, that they felt that their country, their Constitution was under attack. Right. This is our constitutional right. And uh, do I do I understand that correctly? It is. You have the right to peaceably assemble and petition the government for redress grievances. We have the right. We have the right to to demand that our government comply with the laws. So George Washington said in his farewell address, he said, uh, um, he said, in contemplating the causes which may disturb our union, it occurs as a matter of serious concern for the characterizing of parties by geographical discriminations, whence designing men may endeavor to excite a belief that there's a real difference of local interests and views. So, you know, when we when we when we look at what can destroy our country, what can destroy it is is refusing to recognize and, and enforce the fact that we have 50 different regional governments that are all working together in, in harmony. We don't have the ability for one particular region to say, I'm going to do something different and I'm going to pose my will upon the rest of these people. These people that were there, you know, yes, they felt as though they weren't being heard. They felt as though, you know, there was something that, that occurred. And, you know, whether or not there's, there's any sort of investigative um, or uh, evidence that, to lead to that, you know that's that's still to be contemplated but the reality is is that yes we have the right to be able to demand that our government abides by our laws so uh george washington also said i think this was in his in his second um uh, inaugural address what he said was that um was that the the right of the people to establish government presupposes the duty of every individual to obey the established government so we have the right to establish our government and we establish that by the foundational laws the constitution Right. So we have the right to establish that. But that right and duty, it is secondary to our, our our obligation to obey the government. So if the government is not governing us consistent with the laws that we put into place, we have the right to breach our obedience to the government and resume our original liberty. Now, how we do that is 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 a whole nother question. But the reality is, is that government is not governing us. So we have a duty and an obligation to demand that the government that the government uh, uh, engages us in dialogue and comes to the table and talks to us about this. And if they won't, then we have the, the we have the right to breach our obligation and to not recognize that government until such time as they do as they do come back and Amen. And, uh, and, uh, and abide by the establishment of the law. Amen. And that's that's a country with nuts. You know, that's a country with nuts that knows that it's 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 the boss. You know, and and I, I we're far from that. But let's shift gears a little bit and talk about. Um, just gun rights and as far as uh you know heavy machinery and assault rifles and and what's going on in america with with assault rifles and and weapons and and such and you know i i i went back and i looked at how australia lost their weapons right are you familiar with how they lost their weapons yeah a few a few years ago yeah yeah they voted them out so explain explain how that that process went down and how that's similar to what's going on here. I, I don't I don't know enough about Australia. I'm sorry. I, I'm, so yeah. so the story that I got was that it was um they created oppression on the people. They created a poverty on the people. Um they they inflation went through the roof to the point to where people were they were desperate for money and then they brought out a gun buyback program for an offer they couldn't refuse. You know, so it was, do we eat bread or do we, you know, keep our guns? And of course, a large portion of, of, of Australia returned their guns for, for money. And then the oppression led up, inflation came down a little bit and all the guns are out of Australia. And that makes me think about, we know, huh? That's a Machiavellian principle called menticide. Um, 
and menticitis is known as uh, it's known as the killing of the mind, and it's it's a it's the typical way. I, I, I just happened to have read Machiavelli not too long ago, and so I I, I know this, but mm-hmm. uh, but that's the way that, that governments all through history have traditionally led to uh, to totalitarianism, to uh, to an absolute power. And so what they do is is they use these these uh, these waves of fear, and so they get the they get the people to. Um, uh, to to be afraid of something, or something occurs, something something negative. And here in America, it was September 11th. You know, so we have this this illogical condition, and we as as society people, we try to meet that with logic. And you can't meet the logic with logic, and and it just takes time to reconcile it. But what happens is is that government they begin to have these waves of fear, and we can see it all through uh, September. Ever since September 11th, we had the crash of the stock market. Right. Then you had the housing bubble. Then you had another crash of the stock market. Then you have, you know, each one of these is a different, more intense level of fear. And what happens is, is that is that as time goes on, you know, we're we're trying to reconcile in our mind the illogic of the last wave of fear that, that occurred. And we're not able to do it before the next wave hits us. And so we're having to get rid of that one and deal with the next one. And over time, these these waves of fear, these waves of terror that, that's that's inflicted upon people, it causes us to actually start to regress and start to look to the government for our needs, right? And so when we look to the government for our needs, that means that the, the government is then in the position of power, right? Because when we're looking at the government saying, I need food or I need I need money or I need housing or support, whatever it is, we're not looking to ourselves. We're not looking to to, to God or our, our power in order to ensure our success. But success and failure in any nation is dependent upon the people and not the government. I mean, it's a fact. So the moment that we start looking to the government for our needs or or to deal with this illogical situation, then they have the power. And so you can even see. And so in the menticide, in Machiavelli, and in, in, in what he says is he says that isolation is even it, 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 it increases the process because just like Pavlov, you know, when you take and you uh, and you place the dog into the into the controlled environment, he's easily more much more easily manipulated. And so, you know, when you go when a society and, and you have. The ruling elites that are feeling as though they have the power and the ability to rule over these people and that they make better decisions than the people do, then what happens is that they elevate themselves into a position of, of power where they're seeking more and more and more. And then they regress the people to a lower level and they do that through these waves of fear. And then you have, you know, of course, news uh, news agencies that would provide conflicting reports. So, you know, there's no logic in it, right? I mean, there's, there's no logic among it. And what happens is, is a process known as menticide. And there's a guy named... Uh, uh, Juice Merlu, uh, who wrote the book on on menticide, um, and it had to do. He was looking at, at you know at, at Nazi and Germany and these other countries, these other nations that, that have actually gone to totalitarianism. And the process they went through was known as menticide. It's the killing of the mind. It takes and it regresses the the people to a to a place where they're looking to the government as though they they that's their that's their support. And once that happens, it transfers the power from the people into the government's hands. And now you have a government that can't be destroyed because it's it's self-existent. It, it, people depend upon it. What what was so specifically speaking about you know the 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 gun movement and everything that's going on now? How how would you see that being applied in today's society to scare the people away from these gun rights? <clears throat> so after September 11th happened, we uh, we put into place a horrible horrible um, act, and it was called the Patriot Act, and. I got to say that, that what I used to do was national security. I mean, that, that, was, that was what I did. And I, um, I was very, very good at it. And I made a lot of money doing it. But I've come to understand that national security is simply code word for domestic terrorism. You don't, you don't secure and protect the government. You secure and you protect the people from the government. But we had this concept and we all bought into it. I bought into it. Hell, I went and got degrees in it, you know. But the very policies and procedures that I put into place for Homeland Security, I'm now seeking to overturn because I recognize how horrible they actually were, mm. you know. And so we had these knee-jerk reactions as a result of that, of that, of that event, that, that horrible event. And so with these knee-jerk reactions, we started putting in place particular acts and legislation that was depriving the people's rights. But you had this, this, this separation of the people. So you had, you know, the, the upper class people that said, well, I'm going to keep my freedom of religion and I'm going to keep my gun rights, but we're going to take them away from those guys over there because they don't need to have them. You know, so you have like this division across the country where, where we have the oppression. Oppression is simply the unequal application of laws across the society. So when you have a law that only reflects one group of people and not another, 
that is called oppression, right? And that's different than, than tyranny. Tyranny is a, is a ruler who uh, applies the law unequally. So that would be the difference between oppression, that would be the law doing it, as opposed to tyranny being a ruler doing it. So um, so we had the oppression that occurred. So we had these laws that were put into place that was really focused on, on specific individuals. And that's what happened to the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act is absolutely unconstitutional. But one of the big things that happened was, was that the night before the Patriot Act was, was to be signed or voted on, they came in, the administration came in and added almost 3,000 pages to it. Now, that, those pages didn't get read, but the point of the Patriot Act was to, was to help deal with, deal with terrorism at a, at, at a, at a foreign um, uh, location. Mm. But the reality is, is that what it did was it allowed for, uh, for uh, the terrorism element or the investigative element to be able to apply within our domestic, within our society. And so it actually gave um, governmental presidential war powers onto law enforcement officers and allowed them to act in a capacity that was different. They didn't weren't just limited to state police powers anymore. Now they have presidential war powers, which makes them a soldier and yeah. it allows them to be able to deprive people of rights in the same way that they were depriving people of rights in Guantanamo. And Bay. that's when you start. And if you've noticed and paid attention, that's when you started seeing your neighborhood cop just go from just an everyday beat cop looking car to tanks essentially assault tanks exactly. and and, right. and such coming through so so at that point in time part of the part of the shift in in in, in power to governmental uh, presidential war power was that it allowed for them to have access to military grade weapons and military grade vehicles and so now what we have literally across the united states is we have a massive standing army sitting amongst us during peacetime in violation of the united states constitution those people are operating under governmental war powers and i don't know why you know why there's so many of them but it's a scary situation when you see them out there with assault weapons and ex explosives and armored vehicles that are tanks and everything. What is going yeah. on here? You, you see all this outside your door and they're telling you, just give us your weapons. You can trust exactly. us. It's okay. Exactly. Just <laughs> so, so, but, but another thing is, 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 is that when we looked at Guantanamo Bay, what was going on there was, was we were receiving some sort of, you know, some sort of random um, uh, allegation right? Against someone. And then they would go out and pick them up and they would bring them there and they would put them through these horrible, horrible deprivation tactics that were both attacking their physical, uh, emotional, and psychological elements. And it was putting them through just horrible conditions and situations. And I was watching a documentary on it recently. And at the end of the documentary, someone said, if you weren't a terrorist when you got here, you were a terrorist when you left here. And that really resonated with me because, because what was happening was most of those people that were there were not terrorists, right? They might have not have been you know, abiding by the law, but they weren't terrorists. But we were creating terrorists because when they left there, they were. And so we were actually creating the very object that we were going out to fight in order to justify the war. And now look at the justice system, right? We say that we're rehabilitating these people, right? No. If you ask anybody, they say, if you go to prison, you learn how to be a better criminal. Why? Because we're creating the very object in order to justify the war against crime. Right. So you don't go to prison in order to in order to get better. You don't go to prison in order to stop hurting. You don't go to prison to not be a criminal. You go there to become a, prim a criminal because the system is set up in order to teach that, in order to advance that. Right. We're creating the very the system is creating the very people that they're that they're talking about going out and fighting against in order to justify the system itself. That's the driver behind mass incarceration. So when you look at when you look at what they're doing, right, when they're when they're creating this disharmony across the nation or when they're uh, when they're violating the Constitution of the United States, they're doing this in order to get us to fight amongst each other because conflict causes crime. Crime creates criminals. Criminals create money that they put in their system. Well, I mean, that's that's my message in a nutshell is is and that's what I'm trying to get the American people to understand, you know, is that when you're out here in your communities and you're selling drugs to your communities, you're pushing the government's agenda. You know, Absolutely. when you're when you're when you're when you're throwing bottles at small businesses and breaking their windows and burning them down and things of that nature because you're you're lashing out against the government, these people are sitting in their high rises smiling down because their plan is working. This is what they want you to do. When Absolutely. when the when the prisons are are erupting and and gang violence and we're we're just you know destroying each other inside, that is what they want you to do because if if we ever get into civil unrest into a civil war our division is going to knock our numbers down so low that their their state their police state their militia state at that time will be able to handle whatever's left we're we're going to destroy each other on the battlefield yeah. you know i i am um, I, I hear it a lot you know um people's talking about rising up in rebellion 
And, and we need to be very, very cautious about this, very cautious, because the reality is, is that a patriot is defined as, by a dictionary, defined as one who loves and defends his country, okay? So if you love your country, right? If you love anything, destruction should not be an optional outcome for anything that's loved, right? Patriotism is not a call to arms, okay? It's not to go out and get guns. Mm-hmm. You know, we may have to get to that at some point in time, but that's not at all what, what we're talking about. That's the last about, straw. That's the last thing, guys, right? But what we need to do is we need to start talking, right? We need to use our words because power, power isn't about who's got a gun or who's got the bigger gun. Power is about your words. If you can influence others to believe in what you believe in, if you can express your vision and get people to rally behind you, you have power. That's what power is. And so we need to be using our words because patriotism is not a call to arms. Patriotism is simply a dialogue with your fellow man about what is good about your country and what is bad about it, what can be corrected, right? Patriotism is rooted in humanity, right? It's rooted in, in, in the greater good for all. And if given the opportunity, it can, it can change the world. That's, but, that's beautiful. But nationalism, nationalism is built upon arrogance. Nationalism is a refusal to have a dialogue about our country. So when we when we refuse to talk and use our words and express you know our vision, then we then we become nationalists, and that's that's where we're at as a country right now. I mean, we we are we're going out, we're imposing our will upon the rest of the world and saying you need to make your people free, but we're failing to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that the very things that we're fighting for abroad are contrary to the principles that we that we stand for at home. Ain't so, that a ain't I mean not excuse my French, but ain't that a bitch? It's a what bitch. you just said. Ain't it though? We're sitting yeah. telling other countries trying to be this this democratic uh, uh, kingpin, I guess, if you will, telling other countries about what they're doing and how inhumane it is. And we got over two million of our uh, citizens in slavery, in yeah. prison. Right. It's it's the right. most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life, man. You know, I just listened to a podcast yesterday, and it was it was it was on law. You know, so it was it was a constitutional you know mm. uh, expert, you know, professor from you know one of the Ivy League schools, and he was talking about the Thirteenth Amendment and saying it abolished slavery. There's no longer slavery in the. No, it didn't. Read the read the Thirteenth Amendment. Tell me that it abolished slavery when it says you can't have slavery except for a punishment for a crime. It didn't abolish slavery. No, the very the very. The very object that we were trying to eliminate and we lost a million lives for, we put into not only made it made it authorized, but we legalized it into our foundational law. Slavery right. is not gone. Slavery is very, very much alive and at work here in America. Very much. You know, so so you know, these people they need to just open up their eyes. They well, this is why Jordan Peterson and 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 some of the higher intellects of of our nation, of our of our planet is is attacking the the scholars, you know, the these these institutions. Because they're not teaching the truth, they're they're oh. teaching agenda, and right. and 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 it's creating more division amongst our our children. It's just yeah, listen. You know, I, this this all circles back to what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, is just being a better person, being a better you, and understanding that this person that needs and an, an, a helping hand just needs that. They don't need you to kick their hand. No. Help the person out. Because what you just said, people have to realize real quickly. Um, I was in a Zoom the other day, and we had a representative in there. And I'm not going to put out any names, but people are talking to this representative. And you could just see he's intent, he's attentive and wants to hear what they say. But it wasn't until we read out numbers of voters that we had supporting us is when he perked up, right? Is when his attention... It became serious because that's all these people understand is unity right. unity when right. we have millions of people saying the same thing they, they're gonna listen because right. it's our last hope of survival of freedom this is it after this there's nothing no, there's nothing else on on earth no. what else no, do you it's have gone. It's, gone. it's gone but we're the, we're, the, we're the last hope but you know but once again i strongly believe that that you know, because we're in egalitarianism government, it's very easy for us to 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 express the, our vision and say that when you take away your my right, you just took it away from yourself. You know, so when a prosecutor takes away my right to be able to testify and to be able to defend myself, guess what? You just place those shackles on yourself because as of this moment, you don't have that right either. You know, nobody does because because the law is going to treat everyone equally. So you know, every single right that we take away from 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 someone else, we take away from ourselves. So when we talk about not having the, the the freedom to bear arms, we just took the freedom to bear arms away from ourselves. And sometime down the road, 
you may not be on, on the winning side anymore. Do you, do you want to not have the ability to keep their arms because you were on the winning side at one point in time? Tyrants switch, switch sides all the time. I mean, five years down the road, those people that are in power right now, they may not be in power. Do you really want to take away your protection, your element to be able to? No, because rights, are, they, they're consistent among everyone. So, you know, we, we just have to know that, that just like the golden rule, do unto others as you would want done unto you. If you want to be able to have your right to be able to, to, to defend yourself and defend your family, then you better be able to, then you better be in a position of, of defending it for others. Because if you're going to take away from one, you just took away from yourself. And so with our system of government here, you know, the justice system in particular, we can end it in a day. I mean, when anybody that says to me that, that this is too big to fix just doesn't understand justice has no power but for the people. And if the people just realize that they're taking away their own rights, they'll say, wait a second, I don't want to do that. And guess what? The next day, we could have a complete change. We don't have to continue to do things the way that we're doing it. We just have to get these people to understand well, what they're doing. I, and how I, they're doing. I don't want to say that they're giving away their rights. You're right in what you're saying, but I want the people to understand you're being tricked out of your rights. Yeah, yeah. You're being they're, tricked they're, out of your rights. They're taken away through through uh, through manipulation, just, through through yeah. through false reality, through manipulation, through pacification, through all it's of not this. Through manipulation, they're they're not disclosing the truth, and as a result, there's manipulation. You know, when the president comes on and says that he's going to come and get your guns from you. That's not that's not a good position to be in because that's that's against the Constitution. But, you know, so the central element of constitutionalism is that political society, government officials, they are not at liberty to do as they please. They're bound to observe both the limitations on power as well as also the processes set forth in the Constitution. That is what constitutionalism is all about. They're not at liberty to do whatever they want. Right. They're they're bound by by what the Constitution states. It's a contract and as a contract. You know, there's certain obligations that, that's defined within it. And so, you know, when we look at statutory obligations, for instance, a statutory obligation is an obligation that exists within the statute. So when the judge swears by oath that they will that they will do whatever's in the Constitution and then they fail to do it, it doesn't matter whether they intended to or not. Even that negligence itself is also a violation. That's what's called a, a per se um, violation. So anytime that you have a statutory obligation that's in place and a failure to fulfill that statutory obligation, whether it's intentional or accidental, you have a per se crime, which means that it doesn't have to go to a jury to, to determine whether or not there's guilt because the guilt is, is, is a result of the failure to perform the act. And so everyone is judges. When they accept a plea bargain, the law doesn't say that you can do that. It says that you have to have a jury trial. So when you accept that, uh, that plea bargain, it, it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what, what the state says or if there's a ruling in place that, that does it because under, under, uh, under the, civil, um, the rules of civil procedure, it actually says that rules must not conflict with statutes or impair the legal rights of the parties. Thus, the court has no power to declare a rule that shall constitute a waiver of a constitutional right. So when you have an obligation, right, that, that obligation from the Constitution cannot be taken away by a ruling from the judicial branch. You can't create a ruling that shall constitute a waiver of that right because because it, you can't impair the obligation of the contract. You, you, you can't change it. That's out of the, the civil rules of, uh, or the rules of civil procedure. So, you know, when it says, and that also was held up by Miranda versus Arizona. Miranda versus Arizona says where, where rights secured by the Constitution are involved, there cannot be a rule uh, enacted that shall abrogate it. You can't create rulings from a court that shall take away a constitutional right. You can't create a state law that will take away a constitutional right. States do not have the authority to substitute their own alternative legislation for the provisions guarantees of the United States Constitution. The judicial branch has no legal authority to alter, amend, or destroy any of the provisions or guarantees of the United States Constitution. The only way to do it is through an authentic act of the people in accordance with the special amending procedures of Article 5. It's the only way. Well, this has been another great discussion, man. This is, this is a heavy topic, the Second Amendment. Um, just, just... We have to protect these rights. You know, we have to protect our, our constitution, our amendments. We have to protect our gun rights and we have to protect our freedom of speech. Those are the two. That's why they're one and two, because they're the, the most essential. If you understand what communism is and how communism is formed, those are the two essential key elements to keeping communism out of our country, because the, the two key elements to communism is censorship and division. You know, so it's when you have those two in place, communism is right around the door. And look, look what we're doing to ourselves. Look at this, this cancer culture that we're in. 
You know what I mean? And look, we look at, look at, look at the atheism in our, in our, as you were speaking earlier, look at the, you know, the atheism in our, in our nation. There's no, there's no moral compass, as you say. So that's it. It it doesn't matter what that moral compass is. I mean, that's, what's important here is that we have the freedom to believe or not believe, but everyone believes in something. Even if you believe in the big bang, you believe in something. Right. But what we need to believe in is, is aside from ego, right. Good. Right. Aside from ego. We don't, it can be love. It can be conscious. It can be God. It can be all, it doesn't matter. Buddha, we can believe in anything we want, but whatever it is, it needs to be good because that's going to give us something to aspire to. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we're in a narcissistic state. I I believe is because to me, the definition of pure evil, evil is, is just a a hundred percent egoic state. You know, just a person that is just working in complete selfishness, you know, that's pure evil. So Once again, uh, thank you, Tanawa. We'll get together um, again next week to do, uh, I believe, some, again, getting into the most important amendments because these, aside for everybody knows the, the First Amendment, everybody knows the Second Amendment, hardly anybody knows the Third Amendment, you know yeah. what I mean, and, and past that. So this is where the thick of the, the matter is going to get. So until then, good sir, I will holler at you. Okay, thank, thank you, guys. Be safe.